hack into cybersecurity? There's a ton of content out there, and if you don't know where to start, it can be overwhelming, even paralyzing. So let's fix that. Welcome to Simply Cyber, a community of tens of thousands of aspiring and active cybersecurity professionals focused on networking, knowledge sharing, and professional development. I'm Dr. Gerald Dozier, Chief Content Creator at Simply Cyber, inviting you to get the answers to your cybersecurity problems with hundreds of cybersecurity videos answering your frequently asked questions, interviewing industry experts, and live streaming daily cyber threat briefings hosted by me. Now get the stories and insights you won't find anywhere else. Hit subscribe now and dig into all the fresh content on the channel and in the community. Nothing should stop you from launching and leveling up your cybersecurity career today. What's up, everybody? Good morning. Welcome. It is Thursday, September 7th, 2023. I am out of breath, and it doesn't help that I'm dealing with some sickness, so I don't have a lot of breath to give. Ah. Long story short, welcome, everybody, to Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier. This is episode 446 on this lovely September morn. Excuse me. Over the next 45 minutes, me, you, Mark Lauterbach, Ray Tierney, Ms. Julian, Zombie Guy, Justin, Emmanuel, Marcus Kyler, The Mods, woo, Space Tacos, Justin Rohr, all those coming in from LinkedIn like Jeffrey Santo, all those up in YouTube space like Johnny5 and Not Only IT, Simply Cyber Squad members, long-timers, first-timers, we're all going to be shredding the top cybersecurity news stories and Misty-Eyed's going to see the closed captioning because I configure it every single morning to do it we are going to be shredding the top cybersecurity news stories of the day giving you opportunity to learn on what is current right now and how you can operationalize it at your work to reduce cyber risk and if you are looking to break into the industry believe me you're going to get asked in any job interview how do you stay current on guys what the heck um you're going to get asked in any single job interview, how do you stay current on cybersecurity? Believe me, this is a fantastic answer. Plus, the networking is wicked good. I do love um, chat. We're at 135 right now. It's going to grow by double that, at least before the end of the show. So be be sure to say what's up and say hi to everybody. Don't be shy. Uh, yeah, down with the sicknesses, right? So guys, uh, just a reminder, I do not review or uh, research any of these stories prior to go live. So, um, you know, you're getting my honest reaction and response to these stories, much the same as you, uh, but I've been working in the industry for a very long time. So they, it is informed, if, if, you, uh, if you will. I want to say if you're here live, you know, each episode, whether you're live or on replay, is worth half a CPE, a continuing professional education credit. CPEs are basically things that you need to do to stay current if you and maintain cybersecurity certifications if you um, if you possess them, right? A lot of people ask, what are CPEs? If you have cyber search, you know what they are. If you don't, then you don't need them, okay? Each episode's worth half a CPE. Be sure to say what's up in chat, hashtag team live, and take a screen cap of it. Um, hold on one second. Okay, um, I'm sorry. Okay, so um, hashtag team live, take a screenshot, file it off. Uh, do your CPEs, um, you know, like monthly or something like that. They stack up two and a half a week, 10 a month. Um, don't don't miss out on CPE opportunities. It, also, if you're on replay, hashtag team replay in chat. Do love myself some team replay. King victory, good to see you all caps yelling out team live all day, every day. Love it. Guys, if it's your first time, I love first timers. Hashtag first timer in chat. If you are watching this, if you're like, why is this guy so winded? He's just standing there. <laughs> well, hashtag first timer because, you know, welcome aboard. Um, we're just flying by the seat of our pants. Like, um, you know, like back in the day before they had seatbelts or like safety measures, you know, maybe uh, roller coasters. Like you'd see it go around a turn and it'd be like rocking around or, you know, that old like 50s style Mickey Mouse, Porky Pig, Goofy 
video where they're like uh, in the mountains doing switchbacks and like the car would go like way over the edge and stuff. That's kind of what this show is, uh, metaphorically speaking. But you know what? We show up and we do the work. I love it. What's up, Matthew Nadel? First timer, everybody. Welcome, Matthew, to the party. What's up? Can, uh, Kanishk, good to see you. Kanishk, Rai. Guys, before we get into it, I do want to say shout out and thanks to the stream sponsors for supporting the show. Super pumped about it. Barricade Cyber Solutions is dedicated to helping businesses from cyber attacks and recover from the damage done. Cyber attacks can cause massive issues for businesses and send dedicated, hardworking business owners into turmoil. But Barricade Cyber Solutions knows how to mitigate the damage done by cyber incidents. Believe that. Check them out at BarricadeCyber.com. Links in the description below. Also, much love to Panopsi. Get a partner who understands your cybersecurity program and your business goals. Panopsi Security can come into your business, take a look at your um, current security posture, your staff, your you know threat landscape, your resources, and then lay out a really nicely detailed one to three year roadmap that prioritizes high risk reduction with respect to money. So basically when you when you uh, go from like just kind of figure like faking it until you make it, like when you actually implement an information security program and you're going from like zero to wherever you want to go, you typically want to hit the low hanging fruit first, get the you know the high risk low hanging fruit out of the way first and then um, progress along that way depending on what your needs are. Jesse Johnson with the super chat didn't see it come in. Let me grab that really quickly. Oh, just throwing some super chats out there. Can we just become best friends? Yep. Thank you so much, Jesse Johnson, for your support, both squad member and super chatting. Uh, Jesse Johnson, uh, we'll talk about him more uh, later on in the stream with his slain security plus. Um, I guess I, I don't even know what to call it. It's not like a training. It's like it's like a movement. Uh, we could talk about that. But <clears throat> holla to anti-siphon training. Uh, we're going to be ripping through the mid-roll today. So I do want to go uh, really quickly and just touch on this. But before I do that, David, guys, just really quick. I don't know if you guys know, but David passed the CCSP recently. Just straight up crushing cloud. You got a cloud. You got a cloud. David's securing the crap out of all of it. I love it. I'm going to get an Oprah emote for David on that one. Nice job, David. Congratulations. Guys, Anti-Siphon Training is here to disrupt the traditional training industry by providing high-quality, cutting-edge education, cutting-edge education to everyone regardless of their financial position. There's a link in the description below. If you want training and you don't want, and, and like you have any reason for financial, like financial reasons are preventing you from getting education, whatever for whatever reason, whatever your situation is, okay? No one... No one needs to know what your situations are, but if financially you're prevented from taking cyber education, click the link in the description below for anti-siphon trainings, pay what you can training. I, t I tweeted about that, or I posted about this just the other day. Next week, or in a week and a half, John Strand himself is going to be teaching a getting started in security with BHIS. Okay, it's awesome. It's awesome. So if you are, you know, basically trying to get into the industry, learn more about it, right? This is a super, super awesome opportunity. John Strand getting started in security with Black Hills Information Security. Go check it out. All right, guys. I am on the struggle bus right now. I got up at 3 a.m. Not because I wanted to, but because I'm not feeling well. Um, I'm like winded just standing here talking, which sucks. And there's no jaw jacking today because I have to go teach uh, students. So let's get into the news. Do me a favor. Please let the cool sounds of the hot news wash over you in an awesome wave. I'm gonna ask the I'm gonna ask for some uh, <laughs> for some strength from chat today. I think I need a I think I need some uh, like uh, I need I need a hand, y'all. CISO <laughs> series. It's cybersecurity headlines. It's Thursday, September seventh, twenty twenty three. CISA close to finalizing incident reporting rules. The director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, Jen Easterly, said that the organization is finishing up its cyber incident reporting rules for critical infrastructure. Congress initially tasked CISA with implementing these rules in the 2022 spending bill. The initial mandate called for the final rules to be in place within three years, but Easterly previously said the agency planned to move much faster. Yeah, this comes Jen. After the U.S. Securities and Exchange <laughs> Commission adopted material breach disclosure rules back in July. I mean, guys, there's a reason Jen Easterly has an emote 
um, for Simply Cyber. All right, if you're a squad member, don't be shy. Get in there and uh, just spam Jen Easterly. Where in U.S. federal government have you ever heard someone say, yeah, I know you tasked us for three years. We're going to do it quicker than that. That doesn't happen in the public sector. Way to go, Jen. Straight up nailing it. Now, the like we're burying the headline here because Jen's just amazing. But the headline here is that incident reporting for operational technology, operational technology, critical infrastructure, industrial control systems. Um, they're putting um, essentially like rules in place or regulations or laws that these businesses will have to follow. I want to point out this is not I, I would assume I haven't fully read this comes uh, do do do. This one, okay, again, I don't do the research in advance. I would assume this does not exclusively scope public sector only. So if you're a private sector company, this would still um, apply to you, right, from an incident reporting rule. I'm sure they're going to have closed channels or discrete channels for reporting. But if you're like Dominion Energy and you're a for-profit company, you don't get to bury your head in the sand and be like, ah, we're just going to. We don't need to tell anyone like no big deal. No, like you're going to have to report it. And frankly, um, the amount of critical infrastructure that is controlled by private sector is significant. So we can't be foolish and pretend that, you know, private sector executives get to decide whether or not certain things get disclosed because there is a general population public safety element to their service and their infrastructure. Um, So we need to be mindful of that. So way to go, Jen. Straight up crushing it. You know what Jen's doing? Hardcore, man. I I straight up love it. Krebs on cracked LastPass keys. Security journalist Brian Krebs reported that a rash of cracked crypto wallets (laughs) indicates that threat actors began successfully cracking stolen LastPass keys. Back in November, LastPass disclosed a data breach involving stolen password vaults for over 25 million users. According to MetaMask CEO Taylor Monahan, their researchers connected thefts targeting 150 people to potentially cracked vaults with over $35 million in losses. Monahan began tracking these thefts back in March. These users all seemingly stored their private key seed phrases in LastPass. Krebs and Monahan recommend changing important credentials stored in LastPass since November. All right, so... Un- <laughs> I missed part of this story simply because uh, Haircut Fish sent me the meme of the week, and I <laughs> and I was taken taken back. Um, <clears throat> so we know that LastPass's vaults got stolen uh, a while ago, and it was actually a pretty elegant hack. If you want to look into it, a LastPass dev, LastPass was doing a lot of the right things, but a LastPass dev um, got compromised and then the threat actor moved uh from the compromised dev into their into LastPass's uh stuff. So, but at the time we were like, "Oh, no big deal. Like LastPass doesn't know your passwords. They're all encrypted wicked hard, so no big deal." Well, now there's apparently um it, uh belief that these passwords are being cracked. If I had to guess, um Hold on one second. Let me read this. This sucks. So it seems like it's it's mostly focused on crypto. Um, all right. So here's the deal. Here here's what I here's what I think. Okay. Here's what I think's happening. Threat actors stole people's LastPass vaults. Okay. And you would think like, oh, you can't get in. No big deal. Here's what I think. If you had a crap password to get into your vault, or you reuse passwords to get into your vault, which is ridiculous, but people would do it. Then it's possible that threat actors could crack your LastPass vault. They're not really cracking it. They're brute forcing logging in. And because they have an offline copy of it, they can, you know, hammer on it over and over and over and over again, right? There's no, there's no like, oh, you logged in five times. Like there's going to be a a pause before you can do it six times. No, they could just set a computer on it and let it go. So they're not, here's the thing. They're not cracking encryption, which was like, oh, like when quantum comes out, watch out. They're not cracking encryption. They're, they're brute forcing into the vaults. Now, what it looks like is if you are, you know, me and your vault gets cracked, you know, there's, there's some exposure there, but it seems like the threat actors are doing it exclusively so they can then 
leverage it to get into people's MetaMasks, crypto wallets, and then rob them, uh, which you, we, you and I all know that crypto moves and it's irreversible. It's like a wire transfer. So if they do get into your MetaMask, it's not a good, it's not a good day. I would say, um, I would say that if you do have uh, MetaMasks or crypto wallets, uh, first of all, I'm a crypto evangelist. I love it, love it, love it. If you if you are running uh, crypto and stuff like that, you should absolutely have multi-factor authentication on your wallets, right? Or have an offline cold storage wallet or go change your password for your MetaMask account if you don't want to do multi-factor and all these other things. I mean, you probably should change it anyways if it, if it was in that last pass vault. But just here's the deal. If a bad guy cracks your vault and gets your MetaMask password, but you've changed it, Zero risk. If a bad guy cracks your password and you have multi-factor on authentication on it, I, I don't want to say zero risk because there might be like password reset capabilities or something that I'm not thinking of, but way less risk, right? So just you know, follow best practices, guys. We're all we're all infosec people here. You know what I mean? And and by the way, if you got like you know some Johnny Crypto bro uh, who works in accounting who's like, yeah, boy, I got a hot wallet, you might want to. You might want to share this story with them. Just let them know uh, in case they were using LastPass, okay? Connected cars, not great for privacy and security. A recent report on connected cars from Mozilla gave all 25 major brands in the report a failing grade on security and privacy. Mozilla noted that privacy policies from these cars inform customers the companies can collect health and genetic information, immigration status, facial expressions, locations, and in some instances, sexual activity. What? This includes data collected from telematic systems, but also extends to mobile apps and dealership visits. Over half of the brands said that they can share information with law enforcement, while 76% gave themselves the right to sell personal data to third parties. All right, so a couple things. One... Um, <laughs> one, uh, Jesse Johnson did a super chat earlier and, uh, apparently he DM'd me and the super chat did not go through. So I'm going to read it right now because it's awesome. Uh, Jesse Johnson's super chat, uh, at Gerald Dozier headed to my first day in cyber. You and simply cyber were instrumental in my speedy progress. Trust the process. Y'all have a really good day, everyone. I freaking love this community. All right. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Love it. Love it. Love it. And Jesse Johnson first day at his new cybersecurity job broke, broke into cybersecurity. Way to go, Jesse. Okay. So 25 major car brands straight up violating all sorts of privacy. Um, and it doesn't surprise me. They got all the major names in here. BMW, Jeep, Renault, GMC, Chevy. It doesn't say uh, Ford. Yeah. So all the, all the major ones are in here, right? Basically any car you can think of. And here's the deal. They have sensors all over the place. The dealerships, guys, it's, it's, we talk about car dealers, all the car deal salespeople all the time. They've been doing sales for decades, y'all. They've definitely got like you know, uh, workflows and telemetry and you get put into a system and follow up texts and all these other things. If you install a mobile app so you can like start your car or unlock your car, they're collecting everything. And I've said this a million times. Okay. So let's make it a million and one data is the new gold data is the new oil data. Dude, we live in a digital gilded age. The richest people in the world, they broker in data. Okay. So it's no surprise that data is being, you know, what, you know, monetized and weaponized. I don't understand how they're like, why or how they're uh, soliciting information about sexual activity. I guess maybe if, you know, the, 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 uh, gyrometers and the accelerometers in the car, if they detect a certain, uh, rhythmic rocking of the vehicle, it might indicate some activity going on on the inside that would suggest that. But even if you could even if you could deduce that, what are you doing with that information? Like, why are you doing it? Uh, I don't get that. Um, they do mention facial expressions, by the way. You got to remember, I, I, I believe, I might be wrong, but I believe that Teslas have um, sensors in the car that look into the car, right? So they can see if you fall asleep. Um, some cars, fancy cars will have like a an alarm sound that goes off if they detect that your eyes shut and nod off. So they definitely have cameras going on in there. So if you're getting a little, uh, 
I don't. Uh, if you're getting some some action, okay, I guess to put it, there's there's a really specific term I want to use, but I'm not going to because we have young people in the audience. But if there is some activity that is not really going from A to B, and <laughs> it's more like going from A to O, um, then they can see that, and you have. Uh, that's a gross violation of privacy. So I'm glad this came out. By the way, I might want to point out that nobody, I mean, I sometimes read privacy policies, but when you're signing up for a car app or car, whatever, dude, you're thinking this has to do with my car. Why would I feel that I need to review this to see if you're going to be like videotaping me and using that information in some way that I'm completely un, uh, uncool with, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, like we we in the United States, we are way away from where Europe is with GDPR. And, I, you know, Alison Van Stone pointed out recently about like kind of shady, sleek, uh, not sleek, shady, shasty marketing techniques. Like I feel like burying, burying details in privacy policy, like a like a 25 page privacy poly where it's all legalese and crap the first three pages. So you're just like, I'm not going to read this scroll. Agree. Like, let's get going. I feel like that's what's up. So anyways, I'm glad they got caught and we'll see what happens with this. Probably nothing. You know, you know, another thing, just if I may, <clears throat> another thing, if I may. In the United States, I don't know if this happens in England or Europe, UK people, uh, please chime in. But like these major car brands, okay, you know what they do have? Great cash, homie. Lots of money, okay? Do you know what politicians need to win the election? Great cash, homie. Do you know what happens when they get together? Great cash, homie. Do you see what I'm saying? So like, again, I'm not tinfoil hat guy over here, but like, where is the, you need to like incite a movement in order to get legislation passed to increase privacy. But like, like lawmakers are unlikely to bring it forward themselves. And the ones who will bring it forward themselves, there's not enough of them to, to generate consensus, right? We've even saw like a couple years ago, like a small push for a federal privacy standard and part of the problem with the federal privacy standard is basically states like California would have to lower their privacy regulations to meet the federal standard, which is completely silly. But, you know, there's some states that have zero privacy regulation, like you don't have a, you got no privacy rights, right? So it's a hot mess on fire. As long as there's perverse incentives cash, for businesses to collect and sell data, which is as I've pointed out many, many times and demonstrated many, many times, is a valuable asset to a business, they're not going to change their ways. And the lawmakers, I mean, they're not like, what's a lawmaker? What, like, why would a lawmaker care to focus their energy and effort on privacy regulations? You, do you see what I'm saying? Like, like lobbyists who are lobbying and paying for them and helping them uh, stay in power aren't typically interested in privacy or, or they're interested in nerfing privacy. Right. So anyways, this is a bit of a soapbox thing. Privacy for what it's worth though, I will say privacy is its own, um, capability or its own function, but it does overlap with infosec within the confidentiality security objective element. So you will see some privacy stuff fall into our field, but it's, there's dedicated privacy offices and stuff like that. Asus routers open to remote code execution. Asus disclosed vulnerabilities in three of its high-end consumer routers that open the door to remote code execution. Attackers can execute these format string vulnerabilities remotely and without authentication using maliciously crafted inputs targeting API functions. Asus recommends turning off the remote admin features on the routers to prevent further exploits. The company released patches for all of these flaws. However, given that routers can often languish with stock firmware, it's unclear how quickly these updates will be applied. And <coughs> oh my God. Um, so Asus routers, which are commercial, um, you know, like end user brand routers, um, they could be internet facing depending on how you have it set up. Um, It's it, it's advised to turn off the remote administrator console. All right, so this isn't good. All right, here's the deal with this one. Here's the deal with this one. 
Um, we could. See, all right. So let's let me let me think about this for a minute. Okay. So from a practical perspective, if you are a practitioner and you're running one of these, you have all the skills to be able to get in here and update the router, firmware, fix it, uh, patch it, if you will, turn off the web admin console, etc. If you are, um, you know, well to do and you just usually buy like the high end gear and not so you don't have to worry about other stuff. But you're not a technical person. You're just buying the high-end gear, so you're you don't have to be a technical person and fix it or patch it or all that other stuff. That's where the gap is right here. Now, I will say really quickly: if you support small businesses, it's possible that a small business is running uh, this router and that you may want to check it out. I would also point out that there is very likely a Shodan query that you can use to find this web admin panel for Asus. I would be stunned if someone hasn't already. Um, I wouldn't be stunned if someone already doesn't have a Shodan query um, to find these web admin panels. So just know it's it's definitely not going to um, it's it's not you're not going to hide in the noise. Okay, like they'll be able to find you. Um, from a risk perspective, you know I think this is more likely to impact individual end users. As I mentioned before, it's likely that I don't want to say higher net worth, but I could imagine people. Uh, who have you know disposable income would purchase these things, throw them on their network, and feel like they're good to go, hands off, uh, which actually would make them a pretty rich target to get in, hack, and then you know see what you get. But um, this is interesting, but not really a much of a story. I mean, it's it's you know what sucks is um, I'll just point this out. This is one of those ones where hopefully someone like Mudge, who got we just covered in the news yesterday, got hired into CISA to help with. Uh, secure by design processes. The fact that this web admin panel is enabled is enabled by default versus disabled by default is one of those things where like, I get that the web admin console is how you would administer it. Uh, but most people, if I'm not mistaken, most people buy this device and then they're physically with it when they configure it. So I think a local network connection to the web admin console could be enabled by default, but a remote web admin connection uh, should be disabled by default, but it's obviously not. Uh, and again, these vendors are incentivized to make it as easy as possible for any end user of any skill level to successfully set up and configure these devices. Because what they don't want is selling this device, have the web admin panel disabled by default, and then people are complaining that, oh, this thing doesn't work. I can't configure it. It doesn't turn on. This is trash. One-star review on Amazon. And now Asus is getting hosed, right? So they have a perverse incentive cash, homie. In, to um, <laughs> to make it insecure by default because the more insecure something is, all right, the more usable it is. Let me just share this really quickly in case you didn't know because I haven't said this in a while. Think of a straight line, okay? On one end is secure. On the other end is usable. You get to move the slider bar. If we move the slider bar all the way to secure, you can't use the damn thing. It's turned off in a vault at the bottom of the ocean. It's not getting hacked. It's also completely unusable. Slide it all the way to the usable side. It's got no logins. It's accessible on the internet. It's up all the time. No permissions, nothing. No one's going to have an issue using it because it's got nothing stopping anyone from using it. That's completely insecure. So you got to move the slider somewhere in between. And as you move it to secure, it becomes less usable. And as you move it to usable, it becomes less secure. And this is why we have jobs, people, because we as practitioners are smart to know where the slider is and when it needs to be bumped a little to the right or bumped a little to the left, depending on what, you know, what system it is we're talking about that the slider is, is referencing, okay? That's a little, uh, the more you know, lesson. There's an emote for that. We don't use it often, but that's what's up. All right, let's keep rolling. Now a word from our sponsor, Comcast. <laughs> Are you still using whiteboards and pivoting between tools to find out who owns what data sources and the relationships between data points? It's time to improve your OODA loop and enhance your security and compliance efforts with DataBeat from Comcast Technology Solutions. Learn how DataBeat weaves together and enriches data from across the enterprise to provide deeper insights into your security, risk, and compliance posture. Visit comca.st slash oh, data. Hold on one second. I told CISO series I would put this 
graphic up. Uh, the life of a production person. Let me see. I think it's this one. There we go. There we go. That's D-A-T-A-B-E-E -E to learn more. You All right. Now, all the first timers, all the first timers up in here, welcome to the party. We do this every day. Guys, I want to thank all of you for being here, um, especially all the squad members, all the community members, all the members who show up every single day. Genuinely appreciate it. All the first timers, I hope you're getting educational value. I hope you're getting entertainment value. Uh, I'm operating at about 70% right now, but I feel, I feel good. I feel strong uh, uh, pushing through here. Do me a favor, hit that like button if you would. Not so much for me and my benefit, but because it helps trigger the YouTube algorithm to go find other people who like cyber content. Because there's uh, 284 of you here right now, and 284 of you hitting the like button, it's like, oh, a lot of people who like cyber like this show. Let's go tell other people, all right? That's, that's what's up. So please hit that. Again, barricade cyber, panopsi, anti-siphon, all straight crushing it. Guys, I want to take just one quick second and talk about this. Um, Zach Hill told me about this yesterday, and um, it's a really unique opportunity. So TCM Academy, a.k.a. Uh, Heath Adams, um, the cyber mentor, you might know him. He has been building TCM Academy, but for one day on September 16th, so uh, in about two, you know a week after next, he's actually going to be hosting a live um, he physically, like he physically will be teaching a eight hour, nine to five full course on Active Directory hacking. They've got all the labs already built out. You'll get a VM. You don't have to worry about configuration. You don't have to worry about your system and all that stuff. Um, it's a one day training, live Q and A, remote labs. You get, you get to keep access to the labs afterwards for a period of time so you can practice what you learned. Um, you guys know, if, if you don't know Heath Adams, he is brilliant and he's really, really good at offensive security and you can learn directly from him. I did put a link, a pinned link in the chat uh, at the on YouTube if you want to check it out. I'll drop a link in, um, in chat right now. But if you are looking basically to get some experience and learn some really cool AD hacking, this is an opportunity for you. Um, this is the only one I know of that they've done, so... Um, you, you know, might want to giddy up on it. I think they're only taking 50 students. So if you are interested in it, you may want to uh, move. You might want to investigate a little quicker than, you know, not. So thanks a lot uh, for letting me know about that, Zach Hill. All right, guys, Simply Cyber Community Challenge. Simply Cyber Community Challenge um, is always going well. I want to tell you that uh, Angie Yarbrough has the baton, but apparently is not in chat, so I will tag somebody. Or please, somebody, if you would like the baton, give us a shout-out in chat. Jenny, please keep an eye. Guys, the Simply Cyber Community Challenge is an ongoing initiative that is absolutely phenomenal. Go on LinkedIn, search for this hashtag. Whoever gets the baton today will be the uh, baton holder, and they will go post their cyber story. We are community people. We are a tribe. We're a village. We're a group. We're a community, okay? And we need to know each other. So the Simply Cyber Community Challenge is a mechanism to do that, but more importantly, it's a mechanism for us to connect with each other. So if you go on uh, LinkedIn, search for this tag, and connect with the people posting, and more importantly, connect with the people in the comments, you will build your network and in a few weeks, not only will you have a rich, meaningful, valuable uh, LinkedIn network, but your actual LinkedIn feed will be supercharged with supportive, inclusive, useful um, cybersecurity resources. Now, if you don't want a cybersecurity feed in your LinkedIn, then don't do this, right? That's not, you know, but if you do want it, do this. And finally, comment on the posts, because by commenting, you'll get picked up in the Peloton and people will start connecting with you. Believe me. Multiple people in chat can attest to the value of doing this. Please don't sleep on it. All right, guys. Every Thursday is Meme of the Week. This one is so ridiculous. I can't explain it, but this is Dan Reardon's Meme of the Week. I do not filter. I do not censor. This is, I guess, Mer Merman Jerry. <laughs> Merman Jerry. I don't know, but there you go. Uh, thanks so much, Dan Reardon, for the Meme of the Week. Let's keep rolling here. Hey, backs down on encryption fight.
Up until now, drafts of the UK's proposed online safety bill required companies offering end-to-end encrypted messaging services to include the capability to scan messages for signs of child sexual abuse material, or CSAM. Due to the technical infeasibility of this mandate, messaging platforms like Signal and WhatsApp threatened to leave the market. The UK previously proposed a client-side scanning approach, having devices scan against hashes of CSAM material at the point of sending. The UK government will not remove the provisions from the bill, but will not enforce it, saying that the technology to do so does not yet exist. All right, a couple things really quickly. The Simply Cyber Community Challenge. We're tagging Eddie. Eddie, the squad member, has um, got the baton. And thank you, Angie Yarbrough. We, we got you covered, Angie. Uh, Eddie, thanks so much. And uh, apologies, I do have a uh, Ricola in my mouth now, but I, I just need it, okay? Um, all right, so here's the deal. It came out a little while ago that the UK government was trying to find a way to look at Signal, look at WhatsApp, essentially look at any encrypted peer-to-peer uh, communication, right? Like uh, I'm messaging Zach Hill right now. I'm like, what's up, Zach? And he's like, what's up, Jerry? Right? Completely innocuous, no big deal, but it's an encrypted connection. Why? Because we like privacy. We don't like authoritative states. We don't like Big Brother watching what we're doing, even if it's uh, completely benign. Britain, uh, and we see this often um, because it's it's a really uh, compelling, easy argument, but CSAM, or uh, child um, abuse material, um, is, is wicked illegal and it's absolutely deplorable. But what they were saying is, hey, we want to be able to look at uh, encrypted traffic to detect that particular stuff, right? Now, the problem is, if you give a backdoor for that particular content, it's a slippery slope, right? Because it's that content today, and then it's like, oh, you know, terrorism tomorrow, and then, well, who defines what a terrorist is? It's an enemy of the state. Well, an enemy of my state or your state, because we have different, like, you know, political views, and org- and then all of a sudden it gets weaponized, and then you've got real problem, right? So there was some issues with it. They came out a little while ago and said they were going to try to come up with some capability to detect CSAM without necessarily cracking the encryption. And it's come out no surprise because this is why we use encryption to encrypt communications. Britain is admitting that they were unable to successfully detect or curb um, CCM dissemination using these technologies. And it sounds like what they were trying to do was um, use hashes of um, CCM to, to, to detect, you know, files or whatever. Um, I didn't read the whole story, but it sounds like, you know, like basically any file, whether it's a picture of a cat, a, whether it's a picture of, uh, where where is it? Whether it's this picture of me, disturbingly, or it's a picture of uh, really, really inappropriate, uh, deplorable stuff, it's a file. And a file can have a hash. And a hash is a unique one-way math function based on the contents of the file. So I think what they were trying to say is they'd have some library of CSAM material that they had confiscated. They would calculate the hashes and then they would look at the hashes of things being pushed through these messenger apps. But either that's being encrypted also or or what, but it's not working. Um, again, no one's going to argue. No one is going to... I've seen this argument many times. No one's going to argue that... Finding, stopping, you know, curbing CSAM is is a is a uh, is a is a bad idea. No one's going to argue, or that it's a good idea, right? No one's going to argue that. But the problem is, it's a very narrow focus use case. But it but it opens up a capability that can be weaponized, and then you start having to have like oversight committees, and you know, what does that look like? And uh, just as a, another quick example, if you don't know about it. Uh, A couple years ago, maybe like four or five years ago, San Bernardino shooter, mass casualty type situation. FBI found uh, the iPhone on the the shooter and they wanted Apple to crack it because they couldn't get in because the passcode, right? When your phone has a passcode on it, it's encrypted, okay? And Apple pushed back. It turned into a big case. I think it may have even gone to the Supreme Court. And then it never got to the court, though, because... The FBI said, oh, never mind, we don't need it. And it came out that um, um, it was actually Nicole Powell book. This is how they tell me the world ends. Some lone hacker in like Europe or something like that had a solution to crack into the um, into the iPhone. And the FBI just bought <laughs> just bought the solution from this lone wolf. 
and uh, cracked into it anyway. So anyways, that's a long story. There's a rich history around encryption, encrypted messaging, and government wanting to get into it. TikTok tries to mollify Europeans with Project Clover. Ooh, mollify. Good We've work. We've covered many of the moves TikTok has made in the U.S. to assuage privacy and security concerns. Under its Project Texas initiative, it partnered with Oracle to review code and host U.S. data. To address similar concerns in the EU, TikTok began a similar Project Clover. This will utilize the UK-based cybersecurity firm NCC to review its data storage oh, hey, and security NCC. policies independent of reviews by the UK's National Cybersecurity Council. As of this month, NCC will begin a full audit of TikTok's data practices. Project Clover will also see TikTok store European user data across three data centers in Dublin and Norway by early 2024. Okay, so again, I don't research or uh, review or prepare for any of this, in case you couldn't tell. Um, but I do have to like, you know, line the tabs up. So I do see, you know, briefly the headlines. And as I was prepping for the show this morning, or, you know, getting the show set up, I saw this and I was like, I wonder if this British security firm is some like, you know, podunk, uh, stuff shirt, subcontractor, small business set aside, kind of, you know, like whatever, like a lot of like, smoke and mirrors it's not ncc group is legit okay so what they're saying here is tiktok in the united states tiktok's banned on government um government devices i think in montana it's like just straight up banned i don't know how they enforce that but i think it's banned in montana for everybody and tiktok's trying to prove that it's not really a bad deal so they have they're introducing all sorts of transparency they, in the United States, their data goes on Oracle. I think um, they have some type of like third-party oversight that looks at the data and how it's being used. Basically, they're doing the same thing in Europe. TikTok's making, I think, massive amounts of money. And they want to continue to make... Great cash, homie. Right? Obviously. It's all about, it's all about the Benjamins. So, and, and authoritative <laughs> uh, oversight. So, they're hiring NCC Group and giving them access to look at all the data. Um, you know, I don't think... See, the thing is, I don't think TikTok's... Um, I don't... Like, I, this is a much longer conversation. Uh, but I don't think TikTok... I don't think a security review is going to find anything bad with TikTok. I believe TikTok is is weaponized in a different way um, than you know some type of shady security. Like they're they're definitely collecting data, they're definitely using data, but also the type of content that the algorithm is pushing to certain demographics. I think that's really part of it too. So, anyways, good on TikTok. I'm glad they have you know introducing transparency. I'm glad they have a legit company doing it. It'll be interesting to see what NCC Group comes out with hopefully it becomes public record it becomes um you know open and published for transparency purposes but we'll see china weaponizing disclosed flaws back in 2021 china passed a law requiring any network technology business to disclose any discovered software vulnerabilities to the ministry of industry and information technology within two days now a new report from the atlantic council tracked how china uses these vulnerabilities the data is initially added to the cybersecurity threat and vulnerability information sharing platform and then disseminated to several government bodies. The report found that one of these bodies shared this information with China's Ministry of State Security, generally understood as operating many of China's offensive hacking operations. The information also made its way to organizations orchestrating cyber attacks under China's People's Liberation Army. The report found evidence that non-Chinese firms comply with the disclosure mandates, including those providing industrial control system technology. I mean, do I have a... You are so dumb. Like, I need Anton Dodson saying, well, obviously, like, uh, okay, come on, like, um, I don't have a right sound effect for this. Catch me outside, how about that? Like, dude, if anyone thought for a minute, if anyone thought for a minute that this program wasn't going to happen this way then you haven't been paying attention okay let me let me get a better uh thing on screen for you um let's do this one listen here's the deal if in case you're new here and you missed it okay china the country came out with a um a law basically that said, 
you know, if you discover a vulnerability, just like in the United States, right? If you discover a vulnerability um, in the United States, like you would work through like maybe a hacker one or integrity in the U in the European market to disclose it to the vendor. The vendor gets 30 days or whatever to fix it, release a patch, works with the researcher. Researcher gets to publish a blog post, accolades follow, DEFCON talk, everybody's getting high fives, everybody wins, okay? And if it's bad enough, you might coordinate with CISA, okay? Oh, Jenny Easterly, how do you do, okay? And that's the deal. China has a similar law, but the thing is, you need to disclose it directly to China. And I'm not 100% sure if they are the one, like China, the government, is the one that will coordinate with the vendor versus going through the vendor and then bringing China in. And when it happened at the time, I said, all you're talking about doing is basically weaponizing tons of zero days for China to either, you know, publicly disclose. Exactly. Thank you, Emmanuel. Exactly. Did we just become best friends? Yep. So, I mean, all you're doing is building an arsenal for China, and they're going to decide at the government level whether or not to publicly disclose it or to put it in their little, you know, golf bag of zero days and then use them whenever they want. Big surprise. They're going to keep them and use them whenever they want. And now more information is coming out that basically um, they, they have like an internal Slack channel. I, I, I'm being slightly playful here, but essentially the same thing's happening. They have an internal Slack channel where it's like someone drops a zero day, right? So Nick Barker comes up with this elite zero day hack, exchange flaw, remote code execution, one click, no touch, everybody wins, pushes it up, China gets it. They're like, oh my God, this is sick. Send like at everyone in the private Slack channel and it blows it out. And like every agency gets one in China, including the equivalent of like the NSA in China. No surprise. So essentially all this story is confirming is that China is building up an arsenal of zero days, which not to throw stones and to be completely fair, you, you would imagine that the five I countries like the United States are also doing this. We, we aren't, we aren't, <laughs> we aren't weaponizing our own security researchers to build it up, but there's no doubt that the NSA has staff that are constantly looking and developing zero days. And then you get into a really tricky philosophical discussion, one that we could have over a beer one day, if someone wants to have this conversation. If the U.S. or anyone has a zero day, do they have a responsibility to keep it so they can help protect national security if they need to use it against an adversary of the United States? Or do they have a responsibility to disclose it so the greater good can patch all their things? It's a, it's a, it's a interesting philosophical conversation. Toyota's defrag went very wrong. On August 29th, Toyota halted production at 12 of its 14 assembly plants in Japan, citing an undefined system malfunction. Given that we've seen ransomware operators particularly targeting manufacturing, it's easy to assume the worst. However, Toyota clarified that the outage occurred due to it running out of storage. During planned maintenance, it attempted to defragment a database, but ran out of storage before it could be completed, resulting in a shutdown of its production ordering system. So, no ransomware, just an IT nightmare scenario. A threat intelligence program... All right. I mean, I'm not going to... Um, I'm not going to, like, throw Carl under the bus, but this is basic IT... Uh, maintenance. This can happen, okay? This is why you would have something like a solar winds or some type of IT management agent reporting back on performance, file, disk size, database usage, and all these things. Essentially, what happened here was a database got filled. And let's just pause for a second. One thing that we all should understand really quickly is that when you write to disk uh, or you write to a database, right? Like, Think of it as um, books in a bookshelf, okay? Really, this is like a very basic operating system file management uh, lesson, okay? Think of books in a bookshelf, and your bookshelf is completely empty, okay? And you're like, oh, um, I got, you know, uh, the Dark Tower series, which is seven books, right? So it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And uh, you got like, you know, a dictionary at the beginning, and you got something else at the end, right? And then you say, well, I, I don't like the Dark Tower anymore, so I'm going to delete the Dark Tower. And you delete those seven books. It doesn't, 
it doesn't collapse down one, two. It's still one and then a gap and then two. And then say you're going to write something that has, um, you know, four, four bytes to it or whatever. You might write the four in that space and then you write something else that's four. You may not write it in those three spots. You might write it after that eighth one. So then it's nine through 12 and you got this gap of three. Okay, I know like this is really hard without visuals, but my point is you, ha you start having gaps in spaces. So even if you have like a 256 megabyte hard drive, you may only have like, you know, 170 megabytes of data on it, but it's full. And that's because you got all these like, you know, gaps and broken things. And you can't really write to those gaps. So there's a technique called defragging where basically it'll look at where the gaps are. It'll try to position things, rewrite files to disk to, to optimize the utility of your disk. Okay. So this is the, your lesson here for operating systems, right? Okay. So what happened here? What happened was the database got full it said, okay, I got to defrag and it started trying to defrag, but it needed space to write for defragging, right? Like you need kind of like a, a slack space for lack of a better term to write the temporary data as you're moving it, right? You can't, like you have to copy it to a third place before you clear out that space and then move it back. And they ran out of space. So this thing straight up dorked itself by running out of space, not a cyber attack, probably looked like one. The system just went offline. Um, I would say it does happen in IT, but you know, not not really a good look for a Fortune, you know, whatever fifty company uh, to have. And with manufacturing guys, this dude, like, I'm not saying this guy got in trouble, but like, believe me, Toyota knows how much per minute they're they're losing by that um, manufacturing line not being up. All right, so that's gonna do it for today's news, y'all. Um, really quickly, I want everybody, this is super important, okay, before you go, 305 of you beautiful people here, I don't know why it says zero. Um, later today at 4.30 p.m., I will be doing a live stream. I always do one on Thursdays at 4.30, but today instead of a special guest, it's going to be me, and we're going to be talking about the state of Simply Cyber, okay? Here is the um, PowerPoint deck. I'm going all out, guys. I'm giving a briefing today at 4:30. I will be doing quarterly briefings. I've been I've been teasing. I've been you know some of you have well know what's going on with me, but I've been teasing it for about a month, uh, or really two months. I think I think I gave a six week notice, but um, I've got some big announcements, and I've got some some. Um, you know, not just current state big announcements, but what you can expect in the next 90 days. We're going to go through it all. I'm going to set expectations. We are taking Simply Cyber to the next level. And because of that, I want to give a quarterly briefing. This is definitely for people who are part of the community. If you're a casual fan or new here, you may not find this particular briefing valuable. But if you're a member of the community, you are absolutely going to be interested in what I have to talk about later today. So please join me at 4.30 p.m. I'll drop a link in chat really quickly. And um, yeah, that's that. Just again, quick reminder, there is a, 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 link in, um, a link in the pinned comments, but I'll drop this one more. If you're interested in the Heath Adams-led um, Active Directory Hacker Camp, there you go. Guys, I'm Jerry. Uh, what time is it? 8.54. Guys, I'm Jerry. I'll give six minutes of jaw jack, and I hope you guys all have a wonderful Thursday. Hope to see all of you at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time today. Much love. I hope you got a really great experience uh, on the stream today, whether entertainment or educational. Whatever your goals are for the day, for the short term next week, for this month, whether it's you know crushing an audit, getting a job, passing a class, getting a cert. I hope you crush it, and I hope you just straight up dominate it. You got all the opportunity. You got the network behind you. So go out there and just, yes. All right, guys. I'm Jerry. I'll see you guys uh, tomorrow. I am going to do some jaw jacking, though. So if you're new here, I sometimes do this as well. <laughs>
All right, guys. Really quick. You know I need some uh, the midnight, too. All right, let me see what's going on in chat really quick. Um, what's going on with LinkedIn? They were on Jerry's account not too long ago. If not, this is this should be streaming to my LinkedIn account. But folks should be seeing this. Uh, eat another Rico LA during class. Just kidding. I don't know. Oh, Ricola. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely need Ricolas for sure. Today's a lab day at the Citadel. I'll be. It's my favorite lab of the semester. If you were in my class, what you would be doing today is. I'm going to be showing the students how to set up social engineering toolkit and fish credentials from take it easy, Jamie Fleck. I'm going to be teaching people how to fish credentials um, from victims. Uh, it's such a it's such a cool lab, but it's so salacious that it's literally the only YouTube video that I've ever received a copyright. I mean, a, a community strike from and had pulled down from my YouTube account because I was they claimed that I was teaching people how to make weapons um yeah so what's up um awesome jaw jacking graphic yeah so Justin Morrow yeah just the jaw jacking I I, I keep it kind of casual yeah what lab yeah that's the lab Nick Barker social engineering toolkit get some if you guys don't know, the social engineering toolkit is made by Dave Kennedy. It's wicked awesome. Uh, let me let me see this. It's in most um, it's in most Cali boxes. Let me see. Hold on. You can see I'm actually working on. I may talk about this later today, but um, I'm actually working on uh, Jason. Ha I'm gonna basically do a complete bug bounty. Um, workflow now that I have free time and uh, I'm going to walk through Jason Haddock's methodology and go on hacker one find a bug disclose it get credit for it get paid and then make a video about it so I've actually been this is me working on that but yeah social engineering toolkit um, where is it do I not have it hmm Set's already installed. What are we doing here? Something's wrong. I don't know why it's not working. Is it SE Toolkit? Oh, there it is. Not running this route. Hold on one second. All right, here we go. This is the Social Engineering Toolkit. Okay, sorry. I'm like... Uh, drop a link for the toolkit. Yeah, sure. Here we go. This is definitely worth checking out. If you don't know this, right? I can't show you on stream or else this video will get banned, but it comes from trusted sec. It comes from David Kennedy. And if you wanted to, you could do this. <laughs> Number two, that, right? Number three, that. Number one, that, right? Set up your, uh, your listening service, yep. And then you maybe pick, I don't know, Google. <laughs> uh, yep. And then now it's listening. And uh, yeah, if you wanted to, you could, uh, you could, you could do some stuff here, right? So that's what's up. Definitely the lab I'm working uh, on later today. <clears throat> nice. Uh, can all Linux distros use that toolkit or just Kali? No, all Linux distros can. I mean, it's, I think it's it, it runs on Debian, but <clears throat> you can use Ubuntu, Debian, Kali. I don't know if Parrot is built on Debian, but... Um, what's your take on the jobs outlook? Been seeing a lot of job hiring been, being down. Uh, good question. You know, I mean, there's a lot of money going into it, but with recession and inflation... I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to say. I don't have a jobs report uh, relative to the cyber industry, but thanks for asking. I'll actually message um, Joe Hudson's out of the recruiting game, but Pete Strauss is uh, someone who I, I I'm friends with a couple recruiters. Ricky Burke out of Australia, Pete Strauss out of the U.S., um, Dylan Daly out of Canada. I'll, I'll, I'll ping them and find out um, and see if I can get some information on you. 
All right, guys, I got to get out of here. I got to drive and teach the students of tomorrow the lessons of today. But uh, I hope, you know, it was a quick and dirty uh, jaw jacking, but I did, um, I did miss doing jaw jacking. So I hope you enjoyed the few minutes we had together. Be good. Can't wait to see you guys at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. All the best. I'm Jerry, your chat. Until next time, stay secure. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed that content. Keep the cybersecurity train going by connecting with the other Simply Cyber community resources. We have the Discord server that's lively and always keeps the conversation going. You can connect with me directly on LinkedIn. And also every single weekday morning on the Simply Cyber channel, we're doing live daily cyber threat briefings, 8 a.m. Eastern time, as well as Thursday at 4.30 p.m. We're doing live stream interviews with industry experts and we produce videos that we push out every Wednesday morning. I'm Jerry from Simply Cyber. I hope you enjoyed the content and we'll see you in the next one. One.